what we're going to do today and for the next couple of Sundays is we're going to look at one of the heroes of the Old Testament. And the hero that we're going to look at is someone in the book of Judges in a series of books that the theologians call the Deuteronomic History. You've got to say that because it's awesome. Say it to the person next to you, Deuteronomic History. <laughs> so the Deuteronomic history, the Deuteronomic history is, not surprisingly, the history that flows out of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible. And as you go on into Joshua and into the judges and see all the different leaders that God raised up amongst the people of God, you begin to see a pattern that is repeating over and over again. And the, re the repeating pattern is this, that God intervenes and does amazing things in the life of a particular generation of the people of God, and then those people get complacent, lazy, lax in their faith, and things begin to go wrong again. And then God intervenes through a leader, and things get better again. The world of Gideon was a world that was overrun by the peoples of Midian and Amalek. They were the Amalekites and the Midianites and the other Eastern people. Mostly, they were the descendants of Ishmael. And all of these people on the Eastern side of the Jordan would come into Israel at harvest time, steal all of their crops, take all of their animals, and leave them denuded, leave them afraid, leave them hungry. And so famine and hunger, anxiety and fear were the things that beset the people of Israel. God sent a prophet to Israel at that time to say, look, it's because you've drifted from me, it's because you've drifted from me that these things are happening. And so God wants to draw them back again. And we're going to pick up the story at the point where God is beginning to draw them back again. Now, to get into this, we do need a whiteboard and some workers. So we've got, I think, Jenny. She says she's from the block. That's just for people who know anything about music culture. Um, We've got Jenny and we've got Rebecca. So Jenny's on that side, yeah, on that mic, and Rebecca's on this side. You don't necessarily have to stand with the microphone, you can just sit there for a minute, but take your microphone with you, Jenny, because then you've got it. Yeah, good, and then you get that one, Rebecca. Okay, anybody want to help me with the whiteboard? You're gonna help me? Come on, come on, Laura. Okay. Oh, you're wearing your working clothes because we've got a work day today, remember? So, don't do it. Stop. Okay. I just wanted to point out, this is Tuesday night. So, Tuesday night prayer meeting. It was a great prayer meeting. There's about a dozen people there, so we're just building up the numbers again for the new year. And as we're praying through, people bringing scriptures, people praying into different things. We're getting all these different things, and we just put them up on the whiteboard. And it was all about the sense of God's presence and him leading his people as sheep, as a shepherd. 
and um, causing our roots as people to go down into the waters of life. It was awesome. So that was, uh, that was Tuesday night, but feel free, Laura, if you want to get rid of that now. So, where else are we? Let me have a look. I need one of these. Are you good this morning? Are you good this morning? Yeah? <laughs> Aiden's my number one assistant down at the front there. Okay, we are going to read from Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. So, if you need a paper Bible, most people have a digital Bible these days on their phone. If you want a paper Bible, we've got little um, carts with Bibles on that are at the ends of the passageways here. If you're a person that likes to doodle when you're listening, the scientists tell us that you learn and retain 35% more if you're a doodler. But we don't want you doodling on the back of the pew. So there's lots of paper. You c we've even got coloring books for adults. That was for you, Jeff. We thought that that's what you needed. Yeah, we thought you needed that. And there's Crayola crayons and there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so feel free to, to get one of those and uh, join in as you, feel f as you feel free. We're going to read from verse 11 of Judges chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay, two minutes. Most of you have kind of got into this by now. If you're brand new, then just go with the flow. It's fun. This is what we call Discovery Bible. We're going to spend two minutes, going to look through the passage again, and we're going to ask ourselves this simple question. What is highlighted to me? What's highlighted to me? Now, those of you who are familiar with this process know that that highlighting is usually the Lord speaking to you. But if you're unfamiliar with that and maybe that's a, a, a concept that's slightly weird to you, then don't worry about that. Just look at the passage and just ask yourself, what is it that's highlighted to me? I've got a couple of minutes to to consider that.
Okay. What was highlighted to you? I know what was highlighted to me, and I'll tell you about it in a minute, but, but what was it that was highlighted to you? Turn to a person near you and just tell them what it was that kind of struck you in the text. Go ahead, just talk to a person near you. So make sure that uh, both of you share that. Yeah? Okay. So I've got Jenny, I've got Rebecca, and they're gonna do the running of the mics today. So, um, so what do we see in the text? The thing that struck me in the text today was, was the Lord saying through the angel, go in the strength you have. That was kind of interesting to me. Just go in the strength you have, and I'm just kind of noodling that even now. What about you guys? Anything that you saw in the text there? Right there, look. Make sure you tell us who you are, Tyler. And then, I know I just told him who you are, but... He said it. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> Tyler. Tyler. And um, when he said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? A lot of people blame God for the bad things that mm, happened to us. Good. Okay, so we've got Gideon. We've got the angel. We've got the Lord. And we've got, we've got a tree. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, got the tree. We've got Midian, etc. And Gideon says... Why has this all happened? Yeah, good, good. That's good. And you're, you're saying, Tyler, that lots of people are asking that kind of question today. There's all kinds of things going on and people are asking the same kinds of questions, yeah? Yeah, go, go ahead. It's almost like a rhetorical question where they're blaming God when they say that. Okay. So it's a kind of rhetorical question because we all know what the answer is kind of thing. Yeah, very good. What about on this side? Jen oh, there you are, Janet, yeah. My name's Greg. This is more of a question. Um, I've wondered about this in the past. They're uh, speaking to, uh, we have both the angel of the Lord and the Lord. Yes. I'd like, maybe later, some explanation for how are they the same? What's the difference? Yeah. Um, yeah, very good. Okay. So, so, just tell us your name again, sir. Greg. Greg, I, I mean, Greg, I know your name, but I just didn't hear it properly the first time around. So, so Greg is asking a very interesting question because it seems as though in the text there's a differentiation between the Lord and the angel. The angel says something and then it says the Lord says something. Yeah? Well, you'll see that in lots of different parts of the Bible when the Lord is using a representative to speak. So if the Lord is using a human representative, a prophet, say, 
it'll sometimes say the prophet said or sometimes it'll say the Lord said and so what we have here is an understanding that God is looking for partnership he's looking for representation and he's looking for people who are prepared to be his mouthpiece because there really shouldn't be any difference between the angel speaking and the Lord speaking because the Lord is speaking through the angel does that work for you Greg no well it's the best I can do I'm sorry about that You're supposed to write this side. You're supposed to just stand there smiling at me. Okay, so angel and Lord, question mark. Over here. Um, my name is Adrian, um, and what stood out to me, um, uh, the Lord said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And then the Gideon said, my clan is the weakest, and Manasseh, and I am the least in my family so that's just pretty much saying um jesus he he's our strength when we are weak right okay so what so there's an there's an exchange between the angel and gideon gideon saying i'm the smallest i'm the weakest but the angel's saying go in the strength that you have well he doesn't have any strength and so the lord is saying you're going in my strength is that basically what you're trying fantastic so, is it all right if I put go in, oh golly, I have to learn how to spell in. Go in the Lord's strength. Is that good? Is that kind of cover it? Awesome. What about over here? Yeah, right there. Um, oh, Tell please. us your name. Uh, my name is August and... Uh, what I've, uh, what stuck out to me was that God never picked the strongest and the biggest. He, like Gideon said, he was the weakest and the smallest. Cool. Not the strongest and the biggest. Cool. The most powerful. So August is saying, August is awesome, don't you think? Give him a round of applause, please. So August is saying, God doesn't choose the strongest and the brightest and the best, which is generally what we would do. He's working through the smallest and the least significant. Is that basically a, a, a thing that you want to say there? Yeah. Yeah. Good. You're absolutely right. And it's one of the stories of the Bible that God chooses the people that other people wouldn't choose to demonstrate not only that he's able to do anything through everyone, but that actually the people who think that they're least significant are still viewed by the Lord as equal in his eyes to the greatest and the best. Yeah? Awesome. We've got another hand over there and a hand over here. Yeah, Rebecca. Okay. And? She made me say this. this yes, one. Rebecca times two. <laughs> oh, it's Rebecca. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I always thought this was so funny that Gideon is like, basically hiding in the wine press, beating out the wheat, <laughs> like literally in the basement trying to hide as best he can his Absolutely. food and then the angel of the lord shows up is like mighty man of valor <laughs> you know warrior of god and i always i'm like is he being sarcastic yeah, or yeah. but then i was like no that's that's just how god sees him he yeah. sees who he's going to be yeah, not yeah. who he is in that yeah, moment yeah. 
The, the other thing that always surprises me about, that's a great one actually, but, but the, the other thing that always surprises me about this is that Gideon is trying not to be noticed, but it's like he's inside a drum, banging on the inside of the drum. So people are gonna hear him from miles and miles and miles away, because if you use a thresher inside a wine press, I mean, I don't know how it is that his ears weren't bleeding. Because, you know, there's going to be this enormous noise. And he's saying to himself, well, nobody can see me. But everybody's going, what is that noise? And they're saying, oh, it's Gideon inside the wine press again. But it's, you know, it's kind of a funny, you know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Very, very good. I'm going to put that up there. Um, hiding. Is that all right? Sure. Hiding. But God says he's mighty. Yeah? Is that all right? Over here. Over here. Oh, there you are. Hello. Uh, I had also noticed that... You're not allowed to speak unless you tell us your name. Oh, I'm Mark. Hello, Mark. <laughs> um, I also noticed the Lord's thing. I actually wasn't going to say anything until he, he brought it up as well. But it, what, what I saw in that was that uh, Jesus, as the Lord of Lords, King of Kings... Uh, that it was possible that the angel of the Lord, that when he was referring to him as a Lord, he was recognizing the authority of that messenger right. as being a messenger of the Lord of Lords. Yeah, so. good. So the messenger is coming in the authority of the Lord and has his own authority in that that's a kind of a, a status that he carries, but he's representing the Lord of Lords. Yeah, awesome. I don't know what it is about the Lord, but I think he's trying to make me feel bad about these people who come up here and help with the whiteboard. Because everybody who writes on the whiteboard is better than me. Have you noticed that? I hate that. Over there, Rebecca. Hi. Oh, I'm not supposed to touch it. Uh, my name's Kevin. The couple things that I noticed, the first one is when the angel comes to Gideon, it's weird that the angel talks to him, but then Gideon responds back to the Lord. So it's kind of like he's ignoring that the angel is there, and he just talks to the Lord. And then it seems weird that Gideon has this huge rant uh, about kind of how he's not happy with how things are going. And after that is the when the Lord turns to him. So is he just like completely ignoring his pessimism? <laughs> Everybody's really fascinated by this, <laughs> by this dynamic between Gideon and the angel and the Lord. What is it that specifically, Ricky, that you're, that you're kind of finding kind of fascinating about it? What's the particular thing? Well, I think with the just the piece that it seems like that the, after the angel has had has, has, his like introduction, then the Lord uh, and Gideon are speaking back and forth. It just seems that like when God speaks back to him, it's very to the point. Like Gideon kind of gets off track and he's looking at all of the negative things and yeah. God is just telling him, well, this is exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, so the way the Lord's speaking is entirely different to the way that Gideon's reacting in a way. He's reacting to all the negativity. Yeah. And yet the Lord is wanting to speak to him in a way that actually is quite different to that negativity that he's seeing all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's great. That's a great, great point. I love it. So Gideon is negative. The Lord directs him to be I think at least hopeful 
positive. Yeah, I think that's really good. I tell you the other thing, and this is for Greg as well. The other thing, as you read through the text, one of the things that you'll notice is that the Lord continues to speak to Gideon even after the angel's gone. And so I wonder whether some of what's going on is that the angel is there, but Gideon's kind of hearing what it is that the Lord is saying in his heart as well as through the angel, which of course would connect him maybe a bit more to us. What, about, what else we got? Let's just do a couple more. Right there, yeah. Uh, I noticed in the very beginning that... Hey, hey, hey. Oh, my name's Andrew. Hang, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I noticed that when the angel first arrived, then Gideon, like, he didn't seem surprised at all. Like, <laughs> most of the times in the Bible, then people are afraid, they're surprised, they're, like, terrified of the angel. Yeah. And Gideon is just kind of chilling there. Yeah. So... That's really interesting, isn't it? That he's, he, and maybe the angel is kind of dressed in a way that's familiar. Maybe he's kind of interacting with him in a way that you'd think is an, ormo, an ordinary person. When you read on a little bit, Andrew, and Gideon brings his offering to the angel, the angel takes his staff, points it at the offering, and it's vaporized. At that point, Gideon goes, oh no! So maybe it's only at that point when he has the vaporizing staff that he realizes who he's been in the presence of. Do you see what I mean? So maybe he's just there incognito. So look around. Have a look around. Any angels present? We don't know, do we? There could be. One last one over here. Uh, my name is Coloring Book Jeff. Um, <laughs> I think we'll call you Crayola Jeff. Crayola, now. yeah, just call me Crayola. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it it goes back to the thing about um, the Mighty Warrior, and I just think, you know, it's not just that, it's not the identity he's going to have. That's how God sees him, because I know I can relate. Yeah. I feel myself hiding all the time, but God sees yeah. me as who He created me to be. Yeah even when I feel like a, a dork. Yeah. It's his purpose and future. Yeah? So identity of warrior is his purpose and future. Yeah? Is that about it? Are we done? Is somebody desperate to say anything else? Yeah, you're desperate? You can say it if you want to. Yeah, come on. We'd love you to. Just tell us your name. Tell us your name and say you don't want to say anything. I'm okay and I don't want to say anything. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right. Let's, uh, any desperate people over this side? All right. Well, let me, um, let me just try to kind of pull things together over here. If you could just kind of... Yes, the last word you mean? God gave him the ability to conquer. Yeah, we'll put that up as well then. Yeah. Laurie, not really allowed to speak in that way normally, but I'll make a special dispensation. Just, just you know, if you've, got a, if, you've got a, if you've got a marker in your hand, you can't expect to speak as well. Um, hiding, but God says he's mighty. That's that one. Um, 
Gideon is negative, but the Lord directs, oh hang on, the Lord directs him to be positive, that was Ricky's one. And then we've got the identity of a warrior is his future and is his purpose. Yeah, okay, the person that mentioned the tree, we didn't have anything about the tree. I mean, all right, let's, um, could you help me with the, um, oh, thank you very much, that's very good. The best bubbles ever done. Can you turn it around with me? Turn it like that. So, let me, um, let me just suggest a couple of things that I feel kind of bring together what it is that we're looking at today. And um, some of the ways in which, as I've reflected on this passage, and we look at the passages that we're going to look at on Sundays through the week in our prayer times at 8.30 through to 9 o'clock. I think we should have a round of applause for Laura and for Jenny and for Rebecca. Great job. So moderately early in the morning, not desperately early in the morning, but 8.30 to 9, we get together, we pray, we say what it is we're thankful for, we get into some intercession, and then at the end of the time, we'll just look at the passage that we're going to look at on the Sunday. And so this week, I've just been noodling and thinking and and reflecting on this passage and many of the things that you were kind of thinking about many of the questions that you were were noticing the difference between the Lord speaking and the angel speaking the way in which Gideon identified himself as the least and the 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 most insignificant person the way in which Gideon was hiding all of those things came home to me and as I read on into the story of Gideon, it became very, very clear that Gideon was defined by the world around him, where the Midianites and the Amalekites and all of the Eastern people would surge like a, like a swarm of locusts, it says at the beginning of the chapter, like a swarm of locusts, and they devoured the land. Gideon was being defined by the world and the world gave him fear. Gideon Gideon was afraid of the enemies of the people of God. Gideon was afraid, as you read on in the story, the Lord says to him, now Gideon, To get this whole process going, you need to get your family and your village in order. And so we need to get rid of the shrines to the other gods. You need to get rid of the shrine to Baal. You need to get rid of the shrine to Asherah. These were the fertility gods of the Canaanites that that the Israelites had kind of got into. He says, you've got to get rid of those shrines. You've got to sacrifice a bull on a new altar. And you've got to do it to indicate that the Lord is the Lord of your household, your family, and your village. The people saw that the, that the, the altar of Baal and the, the pole of Asherah had been cut down. And they came to Gideon's father and said, you need to bring your son out of here because we need to kill him. His father said, 
there's no killing of my son. Anybody touches my son, he's got to do it through me and I'll kill you. So Gideon's father stepped in to help him. And so Gideon was protected by his father in that situation. But the way in which Gideon is described is very interesting. The Lord tells him to go and get rid of the the altar, to get rid of the Asherah pole. And this is what it says. Gideon did it at night with 10 people who helped him because he was afraid of his family and of the townsfolk. Gideon was afraid of the Midianites. Gideon was afraid of his family. Gideon was afraid of the people of his village. Gideon was afraid of lots and lots of things and underneath it all, his fear was based on the understanding that there's not going to be enough. He was afraid that there was not going to be enough. That's why this little picture of him threshing out the wheat inside the, inside the wine press is so interesting and so significant. Because here's Gideon trying to keep hold of the little food that he has available and doesn't want anyone else to know about it because his life is defined by scarcity and not by abundance. Fear is always to do with there not being enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. There's not enough time. There's not enough talent. There's not enough authority to deal with the situation. There's not enough. And so fear is always based on the sense of scarcity. Philosophers over the last few hundred years have really reflected on this and have, and have said that one of, the, one of the key ways in which you can understand the attitudes and behaviors of people, Jean-Paul Sartre was one such philosopher, one of the ways that you can understand the behavior and the attitudes of people is to recognize that scarcity undergirds the experience of humanity. Scarcity. Fear of want. Gideon is completely gripped by fear because the world doesn't have enough to supply his needs. Now on top of that, he has a particular view of himself that indicates that lots of other people have more than him. They have more status, they have more visibility, They probably have more friends and more supporters because he's from the least family of the least clan of the least tribe. Gideon is the least likely hero to step into the fray. So what is it then that God does? God speaks his word and Gideon albeit very gradually albeit with faltering steps albeit 
in a way that is not suddenly bursting onto the scene like a superhero, Gideon, step by step, grows in faith. Has anybody heard of algorithmic anxiety? Okay, well let me tell you about it. Our world is defined by the media, not Midian, but it's close. And the media, like Midian, is entirely predicated on making you anxious. Now there was a time when I was a small boy during the period of history when me and Oliver Twist were there in the orphanage <laughs> asking for more. There was a time when journalism was based on the idea that you were largely a neutral observer recording events to share with a wider audience. Today, I don't know where those journalists exist, but I've not found any currently. They generally have a kind of a perspective, a political view, a, a drum that they want to bang, something that they want to sell. But you will not read, watch, or listen unless you're prompted to do so. And what all of those minds behind the media have discovered and have written into the algorithms of the supercomputers that run social media, what they've discovered is this. If they can make you feel anxious, you'll click and watch. If they can make you feel anxious, you'll click and read. If they can make you feel anxious, you'll click and listen. It's not the titillating clickbait that is the most successful, the most popular, and the most effective. What it is, is a little message that tells you you're not very pretty, but if you clicked here, we could make you more pretty. You're not very thin, but if you click here, we could get you thin. You're not very healthy because you've got all of these conditions. If you click here, we've got a solution for that. Sometimes they'll put things in your way that you didn't even know you needed. They're so clever, these algorithms, that they will, they will shape your response 
on the basis of a kind of underlying desire to be free from a particular anxiety. Might be to do with money, might be to do with health, they're the two big ones very often. But it could be to do with status or influence or some kind of effect that you can have on the world around you. The very fact that people go back to their pages and see how many likes they have is an indication of what it is that the world is using right now. And it's predicated on fear. Now, how do you deal with it? Well, how you deal with it is you, is you hear what it is that the Lord through the angel, and sometimes it appears as though in the heart of Gideon, says to him. First of all, the Lord says to Gideon, your identity is based on my calling on your life and not your experience of life. My calling on you is to be someone who stands on my behalf as my representative, as one who I can rely upon to speak for me, to act for me, to be, to be the person that others can look to so that they can see what I'm like. And so the Lord will call you his witness. The Lord will call you his mouthpiece. The Lord will call you his warrior. So the first thing is, the Lord wants to speak to us about the way that he defines us on our future behavior, not on our past behavior. That's really important. The future behavior based upon the calling that he's, that he's given to us is the identity that the Lord speaks to. And so he calls you a saint. He calls you a holy person. He calls you a victor. He calls you more than conqueror. Not because today you feel like you're a victor. Today you may feel like a victim. But tomorrow, if you hear his word and you orientate your life on the basis of what it is that he's saying to you, you will be in the flow of his word in your life that will produce faith. And why does, why does it that I say that faith is the product of God speaking? Well, it's very clear in Scripture. It says it over and over again, but there's one particular place in, in Romans 10, 17 that says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God or the word of Christ. Faith, the thing that you step into as a future reality is based upon you hearing what it is that God says about you. He says you're a conqueror, you're a victor, you're a hero, you're my representative, you're my witness. And you think, man, all my past doesn't tell me that. My present doesn't really speak of that. But if that's what the Lord says, I'm going to take one step on the basis 
of what it is that he said. Gideon just took one step. He didn't take the step that a bold hero would take where he trumpeted his obedience to the Lord in the daylight. He did it at night because he was afraid. But he did do the thing that the Lord asked him to do. And because he did that, his faith began to grow. And as his faith began to grow, so the results of faith began to be seen. He thought the people would kill him. Actually what happened is the people rallied around him and followed him. That was never in his mind. He was simply obeying the Lord because the Lord told him to remove the altar, remove the Asherah pole, sacrifice the bull. I'll do it. The Lord's asked me to do it. He says I'm a mighty warrior. I don't feel like a mighty warrior, but I can do this one thing. And he makes that one step. And in making that one step, something begins to happen inside Gideon and something begins to happen outside Gideon. Outside Gideon, mountains begin to move. Jesus says, the mountains in your life will move through faith, not through anything else. And it's faith the size of a mustard seed that will move the mountain. But very often, the mountains that are around us are nothing like the mountain ranges within us. The mountain ranges of our past history, of our memories, of our trauma, the mountains that overshadow the story of our life, they begin to move within us. And we find that instead of our heart being populated by the voices of fear, our heart begins to hear the clarion call of faith. The Lord says to Gideon, Go in the strength you have. Gideon said, the strength I have, what, what could I do? I could probably do something at night where nobody saw me. I've got 10 guys who are kind of okay with me. I think I've probably, I've probably got that much influence. Okay, well, I'll get the 10 guys together at night. And we'll do something. And the Lord says, I'll see your faith and I'll raise you a mountain moved. So then Gideon is now a different kind of person. He's now got a different name. In the village, they now call him Jerob Baal. He's called Jerob Baal because in the language of those people, it meant that Baal, the one whose altar he had destroyed, will now contend with Gideon because obviously Gideon's picked a fight with him and so now his name is Jeroboam which means that Gideon is now identified by the people around him as someone who's prepared to pick a fight with a god well he wasn't like that before he's kind of moving up the league table and it won't be long, and you'll see this next week, it won't be long until Gideon is so confident 
that God will move, that he does an extraordinary thing and calls people to an amazing step of faith. Where are you today? Where are you today? I looked at my phone this morning, it said, your screen time is down 10% from last week. Yes. Yes. My guess is that in time, there will be a new temperance movement that will sweep America and the world. And the temperance movement will not be about alcohol and chemical dependency. It'll be about dopamine addiction. Because every time you click, something fires in your brain and that dopamine release creates an addictive trigger. Which means that you'll come back and click again and then you get the dopamine release and then you'll click again and then you'll click again. Somebody somewhere has got to decide that that world of Midian, I'm sorry, that world of media is something that you're not going to be part of and neither am I. This is what I did. I used to have trolls kind of follow me around on Facebook and Twitter. I don't think it's called Twitter anymore. I forget what it's called. The artist that used to be known as Twitter. <laughs> they used to follow me around and say nasty things about me. And so I removed the apps from my phone. But they were still there on my iPad, so then I removed the apps from my iPad. They were never on my computer. Do you know what? It was amazing. I used to wake up in the morning and I didn't have the anxiety of what it was that had been said on my Facebook page. People were still saying it. But I didn't have the anxiety anymore. Why? Because I didn't look at it anymore. Why? Because it wasn't there to look at. Anybody hearing me? Anybody hearing me in the building? So here's the thing, here's the thing. If you can't fully buy into the temperance movement, at least choose sobriety. Turn to your neighbor, at least choose sobriety. Go on. And why? You just said the same thing again? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, well done, Joseph. Um, why are we doing this? Because what we're doing is we're giving the opportunity for the Word of God who wants to speak to us all the time because the Word of God's a person, remember? He's called Jesus, and he's taken residence in the life of a believer. And all we need to do to hear his voice is turn down the volume of the background noise. And so what we're choosing by removing the apps, 
by removing the notifications, by getting rid of the banners on your screens, is you're choosing to quieten the voices of Midian, a media. And you're deciding by quietening the voice of the world, giving greater opportunity to the voice of the word. And then you get less of this and more of this. Anybody in the room wants less of this and more of this? Okay. Okay. We'll take up the challenge today. Hear the strategy that I'm offering you. It's a strategy that I've tried for several years now. It really works. I can remember times when I would wake up in the morning and be so beset by fear I would have to kneel beside my bed until the fear left me. Maybe some of you feel like that even now. Well, there could be all kinds of circumstances that are mitigating against you. I understand that. There could be all kinds of trauma and, and responses that are, that are part of your life right now that the Lord is wanting to reorder. But do the things that you can do. Don't worry about the things that you can't. And if you can quieten the voice of the world, you will diminish the presence of fear and give opportunity to the word and what's below the word and here's the thing the Lord says to Gideon am I not with you see this is the thing and this is what we're going to engage with at the end of our time today underneath the word is the Lord himself and the Lord's identity is this love and the Bible says this perfect love casts out fear so we're going to join in with the process we're going to agree with the process we're going to partner with God we're going to encourage one another we're going to hold one another accountable we're going to talk to our children we're going to share with our friends we're going to speak to our spouse we're going to talk about it in our in our communities on mission in our house churches and households but we're going to discover that the space that we give to the word allows the presence of love to rise in our hearts and we see more fear removed and more faith rising. Now some of you today genuinely are afraid of certain things. There are, there are health issues, there are financial issues, there are work issues. And the Lord wants to help you with those today. The Lord's very, very practical. And so as we sing our last song, come on, worship team, you can come up. As we sing our last song, my encouragement to you is that as you make your response, as you make your intention for the week, your intention is this, 
of course, to quieten the voice of the world, to listen to the voice of God. Faith diminishes, I mean fear diminishes, faith increases. But we're here together. We're here to be of support to one another. And so the prayer team will recruit members of the congregation and they'll pray with you as you bring your fears to the altar. Because this is what it says in Scripture. This is what it says in Scripture. Bring every thought in submission to Christ. Bring every thought in submission to Christ. And when you do that, the strongholds are broken down. The strongholds in our life are broken down because we give God the access to the places that have held us captive. So if today you're anxious about anything, then come and allow the Lord to minister to you. And if today is a day when you need to make that commitment, I'm just going to set aside the things that make me anxious, all of those media things, maybe some other things. I'm going to set aside the things that make me anxious and I'm going to cleave to the Lord and to his word and let his love fill my heart. And you come too.